Hello, friends. Welcome back to Dentistry Unmasked. I'm David Rice, Chief Editor of Dentistry IQ. Dr. Pam. Hey, what's going on this week? You know, it's the huge little education, little work, some podcasting. How's about you in Salem? You know, all is well. I'm really thrilled to have this conversation today because it's going to help me for next week when I have a new dentist shadowing me in the office. Um, so I'm guessing today we're going to go, we've got these two great guys here, right? We've got Levy, we've got Justin. We're going to talk about build it or buy it. What should new dentists do? What's the state of the union? What's going on? Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks guys. Thanks for having us. I'm interested in hearing what you're seeing and what you're experiencing, because you've got kind of more of a global view of what's going on with the new and the young dentist. And I mean that because you know, you're a young dentist, you graduate from dental school, but even still, you're kind of in a little silo of your friends and maybe a handful of mentors that you might have that are kind of local to that area. So they kind of, with all due respect, kind of know what you know, you know, like you mm -hmm. just kind of know what the, what's going on around you. And I recently went to Dykema where there's this like hysteria around consolidation and, you know, you should consider selling your practice and joining a DSO or a DPO or one sort of, you know, an organization like that. Are you seeing a lot of new young dentists just biting the bullet and buying practices or, and I guess maybe Levy, you might be able to answer this. Um, are you seeing a lot of older dentists kind of, you know, saying it's maybe time to dip my toe into the DSO, you know, organization type regime? Like what, like what's kind of the trend? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen any slowdown for startups and acquisitions in my practice. I, I, I reside here in Southern California and Los Angeles. It's the biggest market nationally. Justin could probably attest to that. And so uh, the deals have not slowed down at all. Um, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, representing doctors in their uh, build outs and acquisitions and sales. And um, there's always been chatter about con consolidations and uh, how are young doctors going to compete with DSOs? You know, I have I have doctors who their practice model is to set up or buy practices right in the backyard of some of these DSOs because they know that they're bringing in a lot of patients, but just as many patients are going out the back door. And so there are still uh thriving offices um uh single owner you know maybe a couple owner offices because it's you know they're personalized and so a lot of patients do not want to come to a practice where they have a new uh dentist every time they come in and so to to set up a practice and to really make it personal um you know there's all opportunities to still thrive in, even in a consolidation market and that's I, I think and I think too, you're either going to build equity for yourself or you're going to build it for someone else. And like that fact remains. So whether you're going to go work for yourself in a private practice, and yeah, there are some you know things you're not accustomed to, which being your you know a manager and managing people, right? But like a, a resource like this wasn't available 10 or 15 years ago, right? There's more information to help those private practice owners. A lot of it, I think, is just mixed messaging, but you really have an opportunity to build that equity, or else why would some of these large organizations be in the space they're making money off dentists they're making money off hygienists like it's no secret i'm assuming that the events get bigger that should show you that hey that would give a doctor confidence that hey we don't have to do we don't have to work for somebody else we've got the opportunity to work for 
ourselves and Pam, you said you had an associate starting tomorrow. There's hundreds of stories like that that just don't necessarily get told. We hear about all of the bigger DSOs, the affiliations, and I, I still think, as Levy was saying, at the street level, there are more deals going down for startups and acquisitions than we've ever seen. It's amazing to me. And, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, Pam, you and I have talked about this in the past of be careful of the half truth because you might be getting the wrong half. So to your point, Justin, I think people are are just by and large getting um, wrong isn't the correct term, but in essence of the quote, the wrong half, because they're, they're only getting part of the story that tends to help the folks who have, um, you know, bigger dollars to invest and get in front of a lot of people. So with, you know, private practice alive and well and thriving, when it comes to a young dentist trying to, to go through that decision tree of, you know, should I build startup? Should I buy, you know, what are some critical factors that you see, you know, cause you work with people all over the country. So, you know, when does it make sense to do one over the other? And I, Levy and I could probably go back and forth for this for three or four hours along with you individuals and what everyone's got their own, like what, what gives you the least amount of anxiety. We tell doctors go down both paths, right? Go explore both. So when you make the decision to acquire a practice or start it, you've at least vetted through the process of the pros and cons of each, because there are good things about acquiring a practice, but you know, you might buy a practice and you might need to update the carpet and the website and have some of the technology. And it's nice to go in and have a new shiny office, but patients aren't flowing through like you are in an acquisition. We just say, Hey, do your due diligence, talk to subject matter experts and figure out the path that you're most comfortable with, but be flexible. Cause let me say this in Los Angeles or Miami or, or even rural markets, we're seeing if a practice becomes available, you need to be able to jump on it quickly and you need to be able to make a quick decision. So do your homework ahead of time. And, and Levy, I don't know what your thoughts are on some of that. Yeah, this is, this is a question I get asked all the time from young doctors and it really comes down to what your vision is, right? And what, what your vision is for practice ownership and what your vision is for yourself and your timeline. Um, startups are fantastic because you get almost 100% of what you envision. You get to build a practice up from scratch. You get to make your imprint in it. You get to find the location that you want to work in. But the amount of time it takes to get from you know the point of wanting to uh, start a practice until it's open, that can be a 12-month, 18-month uh, lag time by the time you find a location, negotiate a lease, build out the office, and get a sustainable patient base. So does that timeline work with your life and what you're trying to achieve, mm. right? If you're going down the acquisition model, you also have to be comfortable about shifting your vision a little bit because you're buying someone else's practice. So I always tell doctors, you know, if you're going down an acquisition, find a list of, you know, five to 10 things that you're really looking for. And if a practice is hitting 70, 80% of that, that's fantastic, right? Because you can always change out the equipment. You can always shift the practice into a new direction once you get in there and become the owner. But, you know, as long as I've been doing this for the last 15 years, it's always been a seller's market. Like Justin said, you know, every time the practice comes on the market, you know, you get three or four different offers and it's just, you have to jump in fast. So it's a really matter to, you know, what is the journey that you want to take and the path you want to take? Do you want to get into practice ownership right away? Or do you have the flexibility of waiting to build out a practice? 
I think there's two elephant in the room challenges for a young dentist and regardless of which path they take. So financing is really one of them. Many of them graduate with a ton of debt. So there's that, but also experience. I know that we leave dental school feeling like, yeah, I'm a dentist ready to go. But the reality is, are you ready to take on a responsibility like that by yourself with not somebody necessarily in the office with you. So I know the journey is definitely different for a dentist that comes on via an acquisition. So if that's the case, then the financial aspect of it is their greater challenge. However, those that decide a startup, they now have the experience challenge coupled with the financial burden associated with that as well. Do you see younger dentists coming in, maybe getting their startup, their practice of their dreams, knowing that it's going to take a while to get it going, but then associate somewhere else? So that will bring in an income, you know, give them something to do, some experience to get, possibly have a little mentorship as they get to grow that practice of their dreams. Do you see that kind of hybrid model? And is that working for them? Justin, you want to take this? Go go ahead. I'll let you. I'll let you uh, yeah, take this one. You, know, um, you have to associate when you're doing a startup. There's really no other chance, no other way to do it unless you're, you know, fabulously independently wealthy. Um, <laughs> it takes time to ramp up and get into a for full, uh, you know, fledging running practice. So almost every associate that I work with that does a startup, and these are mostly specialties, right? Because if you're a specialist, almost all the time you're doing a startup because there's not as many specialty practices for sale. So that is the primary option that you have. But when you finish your uh, construction, you're open for business, part of your business plan is that you're going to be still associating for two to three days a week until you're ramping up. But, you know, the banks who finance these loans understand that. And so they would not be giving a dentist who has three, four, five hundred thousand dollars of student debt, and it's daunting, another five, six hundred thousand dollars to play with uh, at a 100 percent capitalization. I mean, you're not coming in as a dentist with any other collateral. You're getting it all from the bank if they didn't believe that you were going to be successful. So, you know, it just takes a little bit more time and yes, you have to associate another practice for maybe another year, but usually into the second year, banks forecast nationally, and, and Justin can talk about this more, that you're going to start making money into your second year. Into your second, third year, you're going to be making more money than you did as an associate. And I just, again, I, I go back to the resources, like Dr. Pam and Dr. Rice, when you were in dental school, you didn't have, you couldn't go out of your class and then listen to a podcast like this. Like you're going to have experts on this podcast. They're going to be able to help doctors throughout their entire transition phase. And whether you use, you know, us or, or Levy, I don't think that's the key point here is I think it's to use dental specific advisors, including dental specific lenders. And that really says something that Ten, uh, lenders are go now going into dental schools. They want to present to D3, D D4s, talking about basic credit enhancements, what to do, understanding, you know, keeping track of your production and little things that you can do to get qualified. Because again, it goes back to how do you get to private practice ownership the most uh, efficiently and effective way? And again, to build equity in yourself and keeping track of, of some of your stats and some of those things, you can get great tips and, and have a really good understanding where I don't think that was available 10 or 15 years ago. And we all wish they did more business-like 
classes and, and uh, you know, dental school, but dental students are probably like, hey, we go through enough classes as it is. But that's why there are teams of advisors that are, are just on demand for dentists. And you have to take you have to take advantage of that if you're a young doctor. There's people that are really wanting to work with you and work with dental specific advisors. So I think that's a really great point. And, and I think um, it's one of the reasons we really love Aprio. So by the way, shout out Aprio for, for making this episode happen. But you, you have a dental specific team and it, it spans multiple areas and then partners in other spaces. So, you know, I come to you as a, as a, as a D three, four, five, mm-hmm. and I need advice. I can get, um, beyond just this teeny little niche, I get kind of a global mm-hmm. experience of, of what I'm about to go through, which I think is really helpful because Pam, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and, and, uh, I can't wait to hear your interaction with your, your student who's going to shadow you, but. I'm hearing a lot from students and young dentists, those, those D5s and, and D6s even, that one of the biggest things that holds them back is the sheer overwhelm of the people they believe they need to meet in order to really make this happen. So that dental-specific team you allude to is, 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 is really important. Like how, how do we help the D three, four, fives understand, like you don't need, you do need to go get a half a dozen people, but they don't need to all come from entirely different worlds. And, and I'll give a shot. Like you need a dental specific attorney. Like you're going to have to, right. To start a practice or buy, like you have to have that. And unless, like I said, you have uh, wealth, you know, family wealth or, or you have to have financing. So like I always say, start there, get qualified, talk with an attorney, and then when you get closer, that's when you might bring in other advisors, like an equipment specialist or uh, a CPA or a wealth management. Like, but I think the ones you really have to start with are the attorney and the lender, because obviously without the financing, you're, it's going to be tough to get the project started. And without the without the legal side and the roadblocks, and, and let me—I don't know what you're seeing in terms of pitfalls that maybe young docs might want to avoid, you know, as they're looking to start or acquire. That's that's paramount to us. Yeah. And, and once you're, you know, once you align yourself with someone who's done the transaction, whatever transaction you're doing, someone who's done transactions like that, they're going to know how to quarterback your deal and get you in touch with the right people at the right time. So, you know, I always tell doctors, I'm very important in a critical moment in your transaction. But once your transaction is over, really, you might be talking to me once every few years on different, you know, practice transition issues. After that, your advisor is really the one who's going to be the relationship manager going forward. And so I can counsel them at different moments in terms of who you're bringing in and Justin and the bank can do the same thing. And so there's a sense of overwhelm whenever you you get involved with something that you don't know, but really, you know, take, if you can take it just one step at a time, understand the journey that you're going to be going on in broad strokes and then your team will help fill in the details as you're going along the path i can imagine some dental students listening to this and some are saying wow this is really great thanks because i need this guidance and i can imagine some others are like whoa i'm trying to take boards how is a d3 (laughs) trying to have this conversation like are you people nuts can you break it down for us? Who are you working with? And is it too early for a D3 to start having this conversation? I mean, at this point, and in some schools, they've barely started to see patients. Like, how do they know what kind of practice they want to have? 
So not to everybody, but I mean, it's certainly a real, you know, it's real in some dental schools. So when should, you know, if you're really trying to be entrepreneurial and get into your own practice as soon as possible, what's that timeline like? Go ahead, Levy. Listen, if you're in D3 or D4 and you're listening to a podcast like this, you're so ahead of the game from, you know, most dentists that I've worked with earlier on in my career. You don't need to have an MBA as soon as you get out of dental school. You just have to start getting familiar with some of the concepts and terms. Uh, and so don't overwhelm yourself. You have to become a great clinician first, right? You have to become a great clinician first. How fast your hands move, how you produce, the, the, the uh, experience you get with patients and your chair side matters, that runs the engine for everything, right? The business aspects of this, understanding the business systems, those are layers that you add on and it shouldn't happen in dental school, but you, you know, just getting to know, you know, who are some of the players, what are some of these concepts on a very high level stage is really all, all you need. And that's what you get with these kind of masterminds and podcasts. I would say it's, it's into your associateship that you can start digging in and uh, working with potentially some advisors to help you along to get you where you want to get to. I like that. How did you feel, Pam, when you were a D3 and a D4? By, I mean, so, okay. I guess I thought, well, every dentist kind of owns their own practice, right? I was a hygienist before I went to dental school. So I worked for a lot of dentists that were in private practice as solo or small group practices. So I just assumed that at some point, you know, becoming a dentist meant at some point owning a practice. That was just sort of my mindset. So I didn't have a timeline on that. And I knew I was going to residency. So again, really wasn't what I wanted to do. And honestly, I liked being an associate. I enjoyed it, but I felt like in the different offices that I worked, there were different challenges. You know, some, one office didn't really collect and it was a bigger practice and I'd have to sit down every month or so. And I'd see money that was supposed to go to me that went to maybe another associate or just wasn't collected or just wasn't submitted. And I didn't like doing that aspect of that job. And I didn't like having to keep track of it. So I didn't think that was a long-term solution for me. But then I worked in another practice that I liked a lot, but I was a hygienist in that practice. And so for me to be looked at as a prosthodontist, when I was already there as a hygienist, it just like never happened. Like it just wasn't something where the owner looked at me, mm -hmm. I mean, as anything more than like some kid that just graduated school. So that, again, that really wasn't for me. So it got to the point where I thought, you know what, I have a little problem in every place I work. And I think if it's my problem and I own it, then maybe that's the right thing for me. So that's what prompted me to start looking into buying practices. So I was out for about, I think, seven years when I bought a practice. So that was me and my journey. And that's what felt right to me. I also felt like I had a lot of experience as an associate. I've done a ton of cases so that, you know, I felt confident being the boss at this point and taking on the challenge of the staff and all the things. But again, you know, maybe I'm just a slow mover. That's possible. How about you, David? I, you know, I think I felt clinically competent 
and um, business clueless. I had, I had, <laughs> which, which I, I freely admit. So, you know, for everyone who's a D three, four, five, or six out here, I knew nothing at all. And, and I think to what you gentlemen said earlier, you know, and, and I've always looked at, you know, dental practice success today, much like success in any business, there's, there's a people bucket, a process bucket, and then there's a production bucket. And I liked what you said earlier, Levy, that like, your job as a D3 or D4 right now is just get to know the right people. So when you are ready, um, you know, to, and you, and you have, you know, guys like Justin in your circle, then, then she or he can bring the process to you. Cause I, I think for me, I, I much like you, Pam, like I didn't have a timeline per se. I was about, I ended up around four years out being an owner, but it was kind of random that maybe I had enough of associateships that didn't go very well. And I just felt like I could drown in this forever if I don't do something. And it wasn't, um, I didn't have a grand plan other than I, there has to be something better than what I'm doing right now. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think that's so true. You know, I think the essence of that, David, is that, you know, whenever you're on an entrepreneurial journey, whenever you're, you're becoming a doctor for me as an attorney, you know, starting out, I was clueless on anything I had to do to start my practice, right? But the biggest success factor that I see in people around me, or I found in myself was knowing, you know, having that self-awareness of maybe where I may be missing some information, and then yeah. being not being afraid to ask for help, right? Because the most successful clients I've seen, you know, they'll freely admit, I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning, or I still don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, but I know that I don't know it. And I know, and I'm not afraid to ask for help and they will get from A to B faster than anyone else. And so really for any young doctor, you know, get your clinical skills down and just have the confidence to ask for help and be aware of maybe what you're missing uh, when you're going along your journey. And I think one aspect we haven't hit on is the good thing about being an associate now, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to work post-graduation. Like there are a ton of dentists, there's a ton of DSOs that are looking for uh, young doctors to come into their practice. You've got the ability to go in and work at a private practice or work at a group practice. Like in all likelihood, you're going to have some really good options coming out of school to be able to see which path you want to go. Do you want to, we get associates all the time. They want to work for five, 10 years before they buy a practice or others are more Entrepreneur, entrepreneurial to where they want to own multiple practices and know that early on. But I think it's an awesome market for that young associate to be able to say, I've got some really good options from the second I, I graduate to get my, uh, get my feet underneath me and decide where I want to go, uh, how I want to go about it. That seems like for me, the strongest theme, if you will, for this conversation that you know, even though you might want to buy a practice or you're like me going under the assumption that you're going to at some point down the road, who knows when that's going to be, that there's options for you and finding what's right for you is really the best approach. Now, you, we mentioned putting a team together and starting to do that. I can tell you what I did and I don't, I'm interested in hearing your insights because at this point, I mean, it is what it is, but there's a power to knowing, liking and trusting the people that you work with. And so since I started off as an associate, the first partner, if you will, for me was my accountant. 
And so I had oh, worked yeah. with my accountant for several years, you know, so I was six years out when I bought my practice. So I had this experience and this relationship with my accountant for six years, dental specific, and kind of, he helped me kind of create my team or at least start my team. It's changed a little bit since I bought my practice, but he helped me with, okay, these are banks that are lending. These are the, you know, so he kind of helped me point into that direction so that I could execute this, this buying agreement. Mm -hmm. I and, like that. And just from our side, you mentioned something earlier about student loan debt. That's usually at the forefront of a lot of the young doctors' minds coming out of school. And then when you get to an advisor saying, how do we best tackle this? And let's take everything out of the equation, but this is your biggest concern. Let's build a roadmap to attack this because this debt, this interest rate gives you the most anxiety. And that might be starting a practice or buying a practice or associating for five or eight years. But that over the, when we're talking with our young doctors and we, Hey, what's, what's on your mind or keeping you up? That's what we're getting the most feedback on, or they're probably going to levy even as the attorneys, Hey, can I afford to buy this bank says I can, but I'm not real sure. They gave me an approval letter for a million five and I've got $500,000 of student loan debt. Can I really do this? And, and I think you have to, you know, slow down the speed up with the young doctors. You guys have heard me say that before and explain that and just make sure that they're comfortable getting some of that stuff knocked away because it, it is, you know, finding a job, tackling the debt, oftentimes relocating from a different area geographically to a new location is all part of it and very, very stressful. It's, it, it, that's a lot of goodness going on there. So Pam, my experience was similar years, but different person. Um, my Patterson rep, Dan Duke, who's, you know, become now a 30 year, like really solid friend of mine. And you, we call him an advisor and a mentor and all that stuff, but really he's become you know, in my inner circle of five people that I, I, I count on personally, professionally. And, but that's fascinating when you think about it, like you had influence from a CPA. I had influence from Dan, my Patterson rep. I think in today's world, what's really important into to what you just shared, Justin, is our ability to give people enough information because if they don't have the Dan Duke or if they don't have that CPA, that they know, like, and trust, they just have people, then how do we best arm them with enough information so they, they can find, you know, Justin and find you levy? Like, how do we, do we do that? Are there resources that you, that you guys can provide that we can help disseminate? Because I think finding the right people is that first piece every time. I, well, we can, Justin, we can, you can speak to that, but I, I would just piggyback on what Pam is saying here because I think the CPA a lot of times is the focal point of a lot of these relationships because, you know, in every business, you know, what is measured is improved. This is what I've learned. And that usually comes down to numbers. That's why the Patterson rep who's in there looking at your systems, what you need and is in, in no can see your practice, you know, week in, week out because they're coming to make visits to you or the CPA who knows the numbers, can usually spot issues for you before you can say, hey, you need someone, right? You know, you need you need an attorney for this transaction or we got to fix this. You got to have HR help here. Your expenses are too high. Um, you know, we're happy to make ourselves available to anyone who wants to talk to us. Um, Justin, you have any thoughts on that? 
I just think you get to tell, and, and I know Dr. Pam, Dr. Rice, you just surround yourself with people that are passionate about the industry, and it usually works it works out. And I think you can tell pretty quickly who's passionate and who's not. Obviously, everybody in here and everyone that's on your show is is doing this for a reason, and, and we're happy to help here at Aprio, as I'm sure Levy is, is, is. It is a critical role to have, you know, unfortunately, not everyone loves CPAs and attorneys, right? Um, but it is very, very critical to the success, and, and we just, you know, are very, very passionate about it and always appreciate the opportunity to, to spread the word about uh, private practice and dentistry. If there's one, if there's just, if there's one thing I want to piggyback on your comment about the loan, the amount of loan, if there's one thing anyone takes from this conversation, and I, I love this fact, is that, you know, I have a lot of associates, they have a, a ridiculous amount of student loan debt. And they're going to go out and start a practice and buy a practice. And they're going to have to get financing from a bank of $500 to $1 million on top of the debt they have. And they're just riddled with anxiety of fear about how, how can I make this happen? And there's one fact I always tell them is that these banks provide 100% financing for these projects. And it, their default rates are a fraction of 0%, fraction of 1%. So of all the loans nationally that someone like B of A is given out, just B of A alone in the last three years, their dentists have def 0% in the last three years have defaulted on their loans. What that tells you as an associate doctor is that these banks know you're good as gold, right? You know, their success rate on these practices are so high because if they couldn't pay the loan, they just wouldn't be successful. And so it's it's a it's you know it can be daunting to go into practice ownership when you have that debt and take on more debt, but it's usually the surest and fastest way to pay off all your student loan debt and invest in yourself. And, and the one thing I'd add is banks will not approve you unless you can afford to pay all of your personal debt, your new business debt, and still be profitable. So you're, you are not even at a break-even point. They will not approve you. So there is a factor in there that they have a thing to where you have to historically be able to show that you could make the money or production, which should give you faith that you don't have to go in there on an acquisition and do a bunch of things to make the deal work. The deal works at the time you do it based off the historical data. You make small improvements over time. You're just going to be more profitable. So that's why it's, I think, very, very, you know, again, they're trying to educate on on the industry is because those are profitable deals for the doctor, right? The bank's expecting to be repaid. They have dental specific underwriters that understand the industry. And I think that's the specialty in it. Yeah. I, you know, Justin Levy, I think that's a great point for us to wrap up on is it, this is not like the housing industry of 2008, right? No one's going to give you the money if they don't 100% know that you're going to be highly successful. So it keeps coming back to the right people. You, you guys are, are amazing. Thank you for being here. Dr. Pam, you want to take us home? Absolutely. Again, guys, thank you so much for your, your insights and your candor. And, you know, for those of you out there that are thinking about this, be brave, make sure it is though something you want to do, because I'll tell you now, and I'm sure David, you'll agree. Buying a practice is one of the most rewarding things that you can do, but it becomes your tangible, non-alive baby. And it's something <laughs> that will, you know, be one of the largest investments you make in your life. So don't worry, it's going to be great, but make sure you love it. And it is what you want to do. So 
you know, I guess that's really the most important thing. And it sounds to me also, it's your journey. So depending on which way you want to take it to get to that endpoint, sounds to me, as long as you have the right people around you, it will work out. So guys, thanks again. And everybody, we will see you next week. Pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Miragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.